Welcome back. In this week's episode, we discuss the termination of Roe v. Wade, Yeshiva University being forced to fund a gay-straight alliance, and the Israeli diversity government falling apart. I'm Luke. And I'm Rody. And this is the Right Side of the Compass Podcast. So, Rody, how was your weekend? Uh, my weekend was good. I went away to see some friends in the city, and um, we just chilled. Yeah, that, that's good. That's good. You? I uh, I had a very quiet weekend. I learned, and uh, I yeah, that's really it. Actually, I didn't really do anything. I wasn't I wasn't in the mood to do anything. All right. Well, that's good. Sometimes uh, you just need to be in the mood not to do much. Yeah, I I like my quiet weekends. I'm not uh, I'm not dying to do anything on the weekend. I I I am a little bit older now, so I like my silence. I like over the weekend when I can just be left alone. Sometimes I like doing things sometimes, but most of the time I like being left alone. I know that makes me very very old, but uh, I'm okay with that. It means I don't get in trouble. <laughs> yeah, which you tend to. Uh... Get in a lot. <laughs> Me? Get in trouble? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? <laughs> Me? Get in trouble? On my internet? That's That doesn't happen. What are you talking about? Anyway, so, dear listener, we want to provide you with great content, and we want to continue expanding what we do. Unfortunately, we can't do that without your help. Smash the like button for this video. Share this video with your friends and subscribe to the channel. In addition, you can hit the notification bell to be notified when we do our latest uploads. We're also available on all of your favorite podcast platforms. So if you don't like YouTube, we're available on places such as Spotify, Apple, Google, etc. If you want to reach out to us, we're available on Instagram at the right side of the compass, or you can simply comment on the video if you want to hear what we have to say. We are paying attention to comments. We do see what's going on. Anyways, we put a lot of effort into this video, so we hope you enjoy. Anyways, let's get to the first topic. Roe v. Wade gets aborted. Uh, I like your play on words. <laughs> uh, that was a bit shameless. That wasn't even like a nailed it moment. That was more like, come on, that was, that, it was bound to happen. You knew someone had to say it. I actually didn't think of it, so it was a surprise to me. I know, I know, I know, but it, it, it's kind of too obvious. Oh. It's it's too obvious. So what happened? So well, this first is, of all, there was a lot of Supreme Court rulings. Oh yeah, the the Supreme Court has been very good to us conservatives recently. They recently ruled that a New York City ban on carrying weapons uh, was unconstitutional. Well, yeah, no, that the reasoning to in order to carry in New York, you had to have a good enough reason to be able to carry. Like maybe you worked in a dangerous area. Or, or maybe you were, you know, retired cop, uh, stuff like that. But now they're saying that's unconstitutional, which is just as well because I, I'm. Oh, listen, maybe I'm an idiot. Maybe I don't know how to read, but I'm almost positive that the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed means that people can own weapons and the government can't do anything about it. I was almost positive that's how the English language worked, but I must be a stupid idiot, you know apparently yeah but i'm i don't think it's really gonna it's not that it's not gonna happen i just think they're gonna make a lot of rulings like i think they're gonna make how you can't carry it on a subway or you can't uh walk around in public with more than like you know a thousand people i don't know with like a certain amount of people 
in it. So they're just going to make a lot of rulings regarding just to make it impossible for you to actually carry it. So that's the problem with the Supreme Court. There's like no way to punish someone who who and I don't really see a way around this, by the way. So I don't I don't really like there's no real way to solve this. I don't see a way for the court to say something and then for politicians to be punished when the ruling doesn't go their way, because the reality is, is that the way the the the, the system works is that the, the politicians pass a law. Right. And then someone has to come and say, I don't like this law. I'm going to sue. I don't think it's constitutional. And then has to get to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has to agree to hear it because they don't hear a lot of things, all things considered. Right. And then they have to say that it's unconstitutional. But then what happens? Well, the state can say, oh, if we can't do that, then we'll just we'll do it a different way. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, look, in the end of the day, a lot of things there are rules. There are things that are illegal federally that aren't illegal state. So, for example, uh, I think weed is uh, still illegal federally, but, you know, all the states are making it legal. So. Yeah, but that's not even an issue of the Supreme Court. It should be that if the Supreme Court says something right, then that's it right and you can't go over the supreme court's head and you can't go do all these sorts of uh like roundabout ways of getting around it but the reality is is that's what happens in practice because the supreme court has no way to enforce its rulings it can't there's no like supreme court police force that will arrest a politician who violates the supreme court which is to say like i understand if let's say a politician pass a law that says xyz and then you know like, don't punish them the first time for writing a law that's unconstitutional. But if they just violate the Supreme Court ruling, shouldn't there be some sort of punishment for that? And the reality is, is that there isn't because, well, the Supreme Court can just say things, but it can't really enforce anything. And that's yeah, part but of the you problem. would say the same. But you wouldn't be saying this if it was for something that you disagree with. I mean... Yeah, and we'll get to that. Well, for example, with, with Roe versus Wade is a perfect example. You know, before it was overturned, uh, you know, federally, you know, okay, you have to allow abortion, but then the states would do things in order to make it impossible again abortion. So, like, you could say the same thing, just in the opposite. Oh, direction. you can definitely, you can definitely say that, and uh, that is part of the problem. People, I don't think, are very honest about what they want. People say like they want to follow the Constitution, they want the rules, and the- no, 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 they want their side. And this is true of the libs, and this is true of conservatives. There's a, and there's nothing wrong with admitting it, right? Because the reality is, is that procedure's all well and good, but ultimately people aren't inspired by procedure. Procedure is one of those dry things that nerds like. The reality is most people are animated by what they feel is right and just, right? And so even if you have to break the rules a little bit, they feel like, okay, you know, the right thing, this is the right thing, and we should do this, right? So... Uh, for example, a lot of people were like, you see this when the libs are arguing, you know, why is Roe v. Wade being overturned? They like ignoring the constitutional argument, the dry constitutional argument, which I think there's a lot of people that make a compelling argument that say ignoring the politics and just talking about the legislation or the 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 the, the legal the legality of Roe v. Wade, it's a very weak argument, including Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I might add, who was who was kind of not in favor of Roe v. Wade. She spoke out against it. So this is a matter of, you know, where people, where, where the procedure is bad, but 
people feel like, oh, Roe v. Wade does such an important thing that we need to keep it, right? Where they don't they don't care necessarily about the procedure. They want the end result, which is that abortion is legal, right? All right. So, I mean, I guess for the people who don't know, would you like to explain how we like got up to this moment? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We, we, we got a bit of ahead of ourselves because we were talking about the, the guns and then we kind of forgot to talk about the, the main story. So the main story, of course, is that over the weekend, um, the Supreme Court finally did the thing they were – the, they were thinking of doing. Um, they put out a statement. They ruled in a case called Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Clinic or whatever it is. And they said that uh, there's nothing wrong with Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban, which in this case, you in, in case someone doesn't know what that is, which I didn't know what it was, or I didn't remember what it was because it was a long time ago. So you could see how long this process takes and which is why it's such a problem. Uh, Mississippi banned abortions after a certain amount of weeks, and this I think this health clinic, they said, well, this is against Roe v. Wade, but the problem is is that Roe v. Wade wasn't really about um, – wasn't really you know against banning all – it wasn't – Roe v. Wade – no, Roe v. Wade is not about abortion. It's about federal power versus state power. No, 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 no. The court case is about abortion. The court case is about abortion. Yeah, no, the, the court argument. case is about abortion. Right, okay, so you can't say it's not about abortion, but it is about the, the, the general argument around Roe v. Wade, which is to say that, like, what will happen if Roe v. Wade get, got overturned, or what happened now, that was more about federal power versus state power, because there are still places in the United States, it's not that because Roe v. Wade got overturned, all of a sudden, you know, the United States, there's no abortion anywhere you go. What it is is that there are lib states and they have abortion and there are conservative states that don't want abortion and they don't have abortion. Uh, that that would be kind of like – this is to, – to have an analogy, this is kind of like imagine if before the Civil War you had to have – slavery be available in every state and then you know the supreme court said well states have the right to outlaw uh, uh, slavery and so now you have free states and slave states it's kind of like what's happening now we have abortion states and we have life states sounds about right yeah 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 so that's that's what happened but basically the, the supreme court ruled that uh, roe v wade uh did not uh well, first of all, they said that uh, the, there's nowhere in the Constitution where it says that a state can't ban abortion. And they said Roe v. Wade and Casey – I think it was Casey versus Brandenburg or whatever. There was another case that kind of you know, tweaked Roe v. Wade a little bit. They said they both were just bad case law and they just tossed them. And this wasn't even like a five to four verdict where um, Justice uh, – what's his name? The, 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 the main guy in the court. Not Clarence Thomas, the one who's the head of the, the, the Supreme – I don't know all the names. Yeah, me neither. But the one, he's kind of a squish. He sometimes votes right wing, sometimes votes left wing. He voted in favor of getting rid of Roe v. Wade. So this wasn't like a, this wasn't even like that. Six against three. Yeah, six against three. So the only three people were Mr. Breuer uh, or Justice Breuer, Justice Sotomayor and Justice uh, Kagan. They were the only ones that voted in support of Roe v. Wade. So this wasn't even like such a controversial thing. And uh, so now we don't have Roe v. Wade anymore. Roe v. Wade is not the rule of the land anymore. So, of course, protests and celebrations erupted over the weekend. But, of course, there were some very, very, very good takes that I saw um, over the weekend. And I want to go over a couple of them. So let's talk about this. Uh, these takes. So what happens? 
I want to talk about some of the reactions on the 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 right because I think the left, I think they made their reaction pretty clear with all the protests and with all the the killing and with all the you know vandalism and everything. I, I don't want to talk about that. Obviously, I can't condemn that enough. But you know, I I don't I don't feel like I have to condemn the left. They do a pretty good job doing them themselves. <laughs> Right. So this is what uh, this Twitter user, uh, Dr. Strange tweet uh, at Lone Rides uh, tweeted. So this is what Dr. This is like a tweet thread. So I'm going to read the whole thing, but it's kind of really good. So just hold on. This is what he says. He says, you don't like the decisions yesterday and today. You're really not going to like the next part. I mean, it's your fault, but you're not going to like it. See, we were cool with the status quo. Yeah, we wanted abortion to go back to the states. Yeah, we wanted gun rights expanded. Yeah, we wanted our kids safe from LGBTQ indoctrination. But it wasn't enough to fight about. We thought you were like us, that we could argue and make small gains and lose some ground, but everything staying fairly level and level-headed. But boy, were we wrong. Because while we were copacetic, I don't know how to pronounce the word, and just going along to get along, you were pushing. You pushed abortion. From legal, safe, and rare in these specific instances, you pushed now to the point of post-birth abortion on demand for any reason. You pushed gun control from background checks and gun-free zones to now red flag laws, which deny due process. You pushed the rights of gay marriage to now the right of LGBTQ teachers telling kindergartners about their sex life. And during all this, you pushed disagreeing politically to calling us Nazis and justifying violence against us, justifying harming our families and our jobs. So now we push back. We pushed back with Trump. We pushed back with state legislatures. We pushed back with school boards. And we haven't even begun to push back kiddo. We're going to push abortion back to the rare side in many states. We may give you a time frame like 12 to 15 weeks about what your beloved other industrialized industrialized nations give. We may not. We are going to push back on gun control. We're not going to accept your offer of you can keep some guns until we decide to get rid of them. We're going to elect legislators to make ownership easier. We're claiming our rights back. We're going to push back on the LGBTQ agenda. We're going to make your lives miserable when you try to get our kids to question their gender. We're going to remove the power you think you have and put it in the hands of the parents. You had a chance to call a truce. You had a chance to be in control and be happy. You had a chance to just leave us alone. You didn't. You pushed and prodded and provoked, and you're threatening to commit violence now? Good luck with that. There's a saying about the danger of making people who want to be left alone get involved. You've made us get involved, so all of it from here on out is squarely on you. Enjoy the whirlwind you so deservedly reaped. Pretty intense. Yeah, that is intense. And this is I don't the right think, or left? This is a right wing guy. Oh, wow. This is a right wing guy. So he he was very, very intense about it. I don't think he could have made himself clearer. Um, and I and I have to agree with him. I don't think there are many um, conservatives who are like, you know what? I really want to compromise with the left right now. No one is saying that. And this is what uh, Clarence Thomas is saying about, um, you know, the, the whole thing. And because he's he's kind of like the main conservative on the Supreme Court. You got Clarence Thomas, you got Samuel Alito. They're very good. You got the other three conservatives that are a bit squishier, but they're still pretty good. And then you've got uh, Justice Kennedy, who's who's a real squish. And then you got your three um, justices who are are kind of uh, well, they're not kind of they're very left wing. You got Stephen Breyer, you've got your Elena Kagan, and you've got your Sonia Sotomayor, and they're very left wing. And you can count on them to vote. 
um, uh, what's it called? Left wing all the time. But this is what Justice Thomas said. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas on Friday called for overturning the constitutional rights. The court had affirmed for access to contraceptives and LGBTQ rights in an opinion concurring with the majority to decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. That was a grammatical error. In the, his separate opinion, Thomas acknowledged that Friday's decision in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization does not directly affect any rights besides abortion, but he argued that the Constitution's Due Process Clause does not secure right to end abortion or any other substantive rights, and he urged the court to apply that reasoning to other landmark cases. Thomas wrote, in future cases, we should reconsider all of this court's substantive due process precedents, including Griswold, Lawrence, and Obergefell. In case you're not aware, Griswold, Lawrence, and Obergefell referred to the Supreme Court's decision regarding contraception, sodomy, and gay marriage, respectively. That's kind of a big deal. Yeah, so basically, they're trying to say, like, hey, you know, we should also look into maybe overturning the other ones, or, you know, or when we're doing future cases to um, take this case into account um, in terms of the other rulings, like you said. But I think like the main focus you're trying to get to is the LBGTQ one. Where I mean, well, I mean it's appropriate for Pride Month since we are in the last podcast. Yeah, of and Pride people Month. are afraid that they're gonna overturn that. But like again, it's just gonna it just means that it's going back from the federal ruling to the state. That's all it means. It doesn't mean that gay marriage is going away. It just might mean that gay marriage is going away in your state. <laughs> Which I mean, if you're in that state, that's really unfortunate. Um but, but the truth is, but the truth is. Also, is I that, don't think. Sorry, I don't. Let me just. Finish, I don't think that. I don't think that the the gay marriage one is going to be going away. So I mean, it depends who sues and who doesn't sue, right? Like, so now, if let's say a federal worker in Texas decides she doesn't want to sign a marriage bill for gay gay marriage, you know, she might or he might decide, you know what, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to take my case to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court might overrule it. Um, I don't know. It would be a very big, big risk. Someone would need to have a lot of testicular fortitude to do that. But the point, it, but I think just as a side tangent, I think it would actually be better for both red states and blue states if if uh, gay marriage went back to the states. Why? Well, because let's say, uh, gay marriage is not like all of a sudden it's not required that a state recognize gay marriage anymore. Okay. So now you got a bunch of people who are like, well, I'm my, let's say you got all these gay people that they're not, you know, they're not recognized. So they're like, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to a blue state where they recognize my gay marriage. Right. So they go and they, and they bolster the level of people, the amount of people who vote blue in that state. So it's actually, it solidifies their majority, right? So if a blue state has a majority of blue, you know, voters, now they're getting more voters because there are people who are going to simply want to flock to the states where gay marriage is legal and recognized. Um, and similarly, red states, you're going to get a lot of red states that are going to be like, oh, you know, we, we don't do gay marriage. So come on down to the states. Your tax dollars are not going to, you know, gay marriage. And then there are going to be people who flock there. Uh, ultimately, it's better for both things. But that that's not really the interesting part, you know? The, then what the, is the interesting part to me is the importance of the Supreme Court. Okay, you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, 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 the Supreme Court I think is very important, and I know I'm saying that, but especially because of all these big decisions that are now made on the federal level, and a lot of these things, like we have these big issues that instead of fighting culturally in like small little battles, 
We, we try to send some guy to save us in the federal level. Now the Supreme Court is becoming more important. And that's why it's so important to vote Republican. And I know that the GOP just betrayed uh, gun, uh, gun owners federally. Uh, and so, you know, now we have this Supreme Court ruling. But, you know, the individual state legislator, legislatures and the Supreme Court, obviously, they've been doing uh, pretty well in the gun issue. Uh, I think guns, ironically, we have more gun rights than we did many years ago. What do you mean by that? There are a lot of states in the union where you do not need a license to carry a weapon. That is true. And I think but that's there's also like no people in those states. Right. But if you look at it from a purely objective standard, right, there, there's there are places where you don't you, you could just walk around with a weapon and no one can say anything. They can't even ask you for an ID. Woo, America. <laughs> yeah, no, no. But Tim Pool makes this point a lot. And he says, like, in many ways, we have more gun rights than we did many years ago. In, in many ways to say that we're losing our rights is just simply not true. We have more free speech. We have more Second Amendment. Not all the time is that good, but we have more of those rights. So it seems like advocates for guns are doing a good job. Well, we shall see. If they can get some of the blue states to back off, that would be very interesting. But yeah, that, this is this is why the Supreme I don't Court think is so that's important. Anytime soon. Well, we'll see. I don't know. We'll see. I, I I'm inclined to agree with you, but uh, listen, I've been wrong before. So. Really? Whoa. <laughs> Whoa, Luke. You've been wrong before? You know, maybe. No, never. No. What did I, What am I saying? The only time I was ever wrong was when I said I've been wrong before. But then that means oh. I've been wrong. So it's like the, it's the Luke. It's, the, it's a paradox. I just created a, a, I just created a paradox. Uh. So, <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, the point is, is that I guess this is why it's so important to vote and vote in elections. It's very easy to just be dismissive and say like, Hey, listen, I'm not getting involved. I don't want to know from politics. I don't care about politics. Um, that's the wrong attitude. Yeah. You should be involved. You should go vote and you should care about what's going on. Now, now I think I'm going to go to an issue that's a little closer to home for us. Uh, as, as people in the Jewish community, this is a little bit more of a, of an insular issue, but I kind of want to, to bring it outside a bit uh, and kind of maybe expand it so that other people will start paying attention. And uh, the 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 headline, of course, is Yeshiva University is going gay. That is uh, what is going on right now. So for those of you who don't know, Yeshiva University is uh, allegedly uh, the flagship modern Orthodox uh, university institution of higher education, blah, 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 blah. Anyways, so they, for many years... Uh, have been trying to uh, secure funding from the federal government um, in many ways, including by dropping its uh, rabbinical school. For those who don't know what a rabbinical school is, it's kind of like what Christians are semin. It's 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 what seminary is to Christians. That's where like you ordain rabbis and you you make them you make rabbis and leaders in the Jewish community. So it's kind of similar to how maybe like at a at a seminary. You might ordain a priest or a minister or a reverend, etc. And so they they cut that off from their university. So it's actually a separate institution. It just it just happens to be in the same place as Yeshiva University, um, but it's it's cut off financially from it. And so they now say they're non-sectarian. So even the things that are supposedly Jewish about Yeshiva University, they're purely for educational and academic reasons, allegedly. So. 
Right. So, but, and so they were being sued by a bunch of current and former students saying that YU is discriminating against their YU Pride Alliance, which used to be the Yeshiva University Gay Straight Alliance. Now, anyone who knows anything about the Bible knows that uh, homosexuality, not exactly uh, pro, uh, you know, not Judaism is not exactly pro homosexuality. Like most religions. Listen, some religions are. The Abrahamic ones tend to frown on it. And by frown on it, I mean they tend to throw homosexuals off a cliff and stone them to death. <laughs> that, that's Not too big of a deal. <laughs> I mean, listen, listen. It's not within our culture to tolerate that. <laughs> Listen, you know, I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to say that that's, uh, uh, allegedly. Off the cliff. Listen, listen, Jews don't, you know, Orthodox Judaism doesn't promote homosexuality, but at the very least, they should be thankful that they're not in like Iran where they hang them from construction cranes. So, you know, there's a little miracles. But uh, that wasn't enough, apparently, because a lot of these students, they started suing Yeshiva University for discrimination. And the New York County Supreme Court ruled that Yeshiva University is not a religious institution and therefore must recognize and fund its gay-straight alliance. Makes sense. Yeah, I suppose. Like, it, it depends. Like, look, in the end of the day, why you needed to make a decision? Are they Yeshiva or are they university? And if they're Yeshiva, then yes, okay, you, you can then, you know, this gay pride alliance thing goes against their beliefs. And so they wouldn't want it. But if they want to be a university first and not a yeshiva, then yeah, then they have to be like, hey, you're a university and you can't discriminate against other people like that because you're a university, not a religious institute. So well, I would I would make the claim that by throwing out uh, the rabbinical school, the Rabbi Isaac L. Hanan Theological Seminary, they they made the decision by chasing after federal dollars. It's very hard to argue that they are not a secular institution because a religious institution would stand by what they believe and say, hey, listen, you know, we're a religious institution. We won't get federal funding, but at the very least, we're going to be our own thing. Uh, I don't think they're going to leave this alone, though. Why Yeshiva University did say that they will uh, challenge this ruling and if you are a Catholic or you are a, a Mormon or whatever it is, this is a very important case to watch because this if this goes up to the Supreme Court, we're going to see what the Supreme Court thinks about the, the, the nature of federal dollars. Does federal dollars make it so that you have to give up everything you believe? And if not? Well, I think it depends on what it's for. You know, you have religious institutions that are that do get uh, funding, no? Where where is that true in the United States? Um, like was it at, um, you know, like Catholic schools or or something like that? Catholic like schools, schools don't. Catholic or, schools definitely don't need the federal funding because they get funding from the Holy See, and that is one of the wealthiest organizations on the planet. They do not need the help. That is why Catholic schools tend to stay out of it, and they also uh, they charge. I thought religious institutions do get some funding. Well, that's the thing. So Catholic schools, they tend to be cheaper because they're funded by the, the Vatican. Uh, and because of that, they tend to be like four figures a year. 
Uh, I don't I don't know the average. I'm going to double check the average cost of Catholic school. Average cost of Catholic school. I don't know what that's like. Oh yeah, so it's like around the average. For example, the average tuition at private elementary school is seven six thirty, while the average for Catholic elementaries is four eighty four four forty eight forty, right? So the average Catholic high school is around eleven thousand two hundred forty dollars in the United States. Right. And so I guess you know Yeshiva University wanted funding. You know they wanted more money, so they right. But said, that's hey, inc- we're a university, not a yeshiva. So right, but that's the incredible thing. It's still very expensive to send your kid to yeshiva university. So what are they doing with that money? Uh <laughs> beats me. I'm yeah, not giving no, them my money. No, me neither. I'm not uh, that. I, I, listen, I would be an idiot to send my kids to yeshiva university at this point. If I had kids, of course, I would I would be a very stupid idiot to send my kids to Yeshiva University, especially after the way they treated their students by forcing like like there were secular schools that gave religious exemptions for vaccines. Yeshiva University, to my knowledge, did not. Despite the fact that it's a religious institution, it should have more sympathy for its religious students, but it does not. Exactly, because they're viewing they're viewing themselves as a university first and a yeshiva second. That's that seems the that seems to be the direction that they're trying to take it, and they're trying to be more open minded to other to other types of Jews, um, in that sense. Or even are there non Jews that go to yeshiva university? Very few. It certainly certainly they're undergrad. The way they get the undergrad program to be so Jewish is by they, they don't discriminate against anyone, what, but what they actually do to, to encourage only Jews to go is they say, hey, listen, Yeshiva University is non-denominational. However, in our undergrad program, you spend the morning learning Talmud and you spend the afternoon learning secular studies. Unless you're dying to learn Talmud, there's no reason for you to choose Yeshiva University over somewhere else. So that's how they make it so that only – or like – mostly only like there's always going to be those couple of weirdos that decide, Oh, I'm going to learn Talmud in the morning and, you know, be in Yeshiva university in the afternoon. But a lot of people don't really do that. It's not what happens. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because I was thinking, what if I were to go put on a suit, you know, oil up my beard, walk down to Stern college for women and say, I want admission to Stern college for women. I identify as a woman. You're saying that? Yeah, I'm a woman. I'm a woman. Wait, wait, what do you mean you want proof? I said I'm a woman. I identify as a woman. Therefore, I'm a woman. Admit me into your university. Then according to this case, then they would probably have to let you in. Yeah. Uh, that's what I was thinking. Maybe I'll be the first I'll be the first transgender woman to go to Well, was uh, this ruling specifically was this ruling specifically for gay people and like homosexual people or is it like the lgbtq community like you know no, it, all, it was it was gay no, no no no. so it was the gay straight alliance the the, the ruling was very narrow they the the yeshiva, yeshiva university is now forced to recognize and financially support their gay straight alliance but if they have to do that then it begs the question well what other things can i force yeshiva university to do as a secular institution could i dress up could I, could I go as a man, walk into Stern College for Women, and say, Stern College for Women, I want, uh, I want to be admitted as, uh, as a student to your institution? Well, then, I mean, 
I mean, I probably, I mean, I probably wouldn't be admitted only because I'm already in uh, an undergraduate institution. So I probably would. Yeah. No, but ignoring that, let's say I was like 22 and, you know, I was, you know, I wanted to, I never went to college and now I want to go to, you know, Stern College for Women. What grounds does Yeshiva University have to say like, hey, listen, Stern College for Women is just women. Because they don't, they, they are, they are required to not discriminate. Then, yeah, according to that, then if they, if they consider themselves a university first and not a yeshiva, then yeah, they would have to let you in. Right. So, but, but then that begs the question, of course, what about other f- female institutions? Uh, I have no idea, but certainly Stern College wouldn't have a good argument and by the way, I use Stern College. Stern, there's, there, Yeshiva University is segregated, sex segregated uh, at the undergraduate level. So you have Yeshiva College, which is for men, and you have Stern College for women, which is, well, for women, but what is a woman? So who the hell knows? It's uh, Pride Month. Uh, by the way, this is very, this <laughs> is also, Pride month. <laughs> this is very appropriate for Pride Month, the holy month of Pride. So I'm just letting you know, um, this is uh, what's going on. So if, there's no reason why I can't attend Stern College for Women and hang out with all my fellow ladies. Uh, just saying. <laughs> my fellow gals. My gal pals. Come on, ladies. Let's go. Get in, losers. We're going shopping. We're going shopping. <laughs> We're going shopping. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So that's that's the thing. Like that's what Yeshiva University gets for chasing the the federal dollars. A lot of the and and I have a feeling that this is going to result in Yeshiva University losing a lot of customers because the whole point of Yeshiva University is so that Jewish kids can go to a, a very small institution because Yeshiva University is not that big. You've been to Yeshiva University; it's the size of a block. It's not doesn't have a really big campus, right? It's not like a university campus with lots of things going on. There's no quad. It's literally just some buildings and a place to play ball indoors. Right? That's really what it is. And it's got a high school attached to it, and there's like buildings all over the place, but really there's nothing to do there at Yeshiva University. Right? So the, it, people send their kids to Yeshiva University because they want their kids to get a, you know, a college education, but they want them learning Talmud for four years as well. And they want them left alone from all the non-Jewish and stuff. The type of people who are learning Talmud, majority of them are probably not or you know, aren't of – the gay straight alliance or not part of that gay straight alliance i mean i mean uh, i've seen weird examples but the reality is is that when it comes to orthodox judaism broadly speaking two to one republican democrat so you got your democrat orthodox jews but well, that's why i said majority and not you know all <laughs> yeah no no i'm just i'm just trying to say like it's typically it's like a two to one ratio right there are your liberal orthodox jews which we can rail on another time and i think we've done so in the past but uh, I just want to like point out that like two thirds of Orthodox Jews are, are still Republican and they still like traditional marriage and they still want traditional values. And so you might see them going elsewhere to find this like Jewish atmosphere. Maybe you'll see them finding some other sort of combination. Uh, there's, there's many options in New York if you want to go to college and study Talmud. Uh, Queens College easily comes to mind. There's a yeshiva that a lot of uh, people go to when they're at Queens College and they learn there. So maybe they'll get some more uh, 
representation or perhaps maybe people will start sending their kids to Israel because at that point, if you can't even send your kids to Yeshiva University and get them out of the non-Jewish world, then at the very least, like send them to Israel because it's, it's much cheaper than Yeshiva University. And uh, you also get like a Jewish, like in general, a Jewish atmosphere. And then, and then your kids have to know Hebrew because you could, you could spend four years in Yeshiva University and not know how to speak Hebrew. But uh, maybe there are going to be parents who are going to be like, maybe I want my kids speaking Hebrew. You'll know how to speak Aramaic. You'll know how to read it, perhaps, but you won't. And it's not, you'll learn how to speak it in a, in a kind of uh, Ashkenazi Talmudic way, but you're not going to actually know academic Aramaic. So let's, let's put that aside. Anyways, so I think we're done with that topic for a second. And let's talk about the third one, which is, I think, the thing that people were kind of expecting us to talk about, because you know, half of us is in Israel, and this is kind of the big news coming out of Israel. The diversity government falls apart. Surprise! <laughs> I mean, we, I mean, we kind of knew it was coming. We knew that at some point this wasn't going to last. Um. Yeah, no, I didn't think it was going to last too long either. I had a feeling it was going to fall apart. It was too, uh, first of all, what was holding it together, I don't think was strong enough to you know, to, to hold it together. <laughs> so I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was literally just, we don't like Benjamin Netanyahu, the government. That's it. Yeah, basically. And then it's like, okay, well now that he's gone, how long, you know, it was, it was just, it wasn't like, okay, you know, this is not going to happen. It was just like, you know, it was just a matter of when is it, gonna, when this is going to happen. So I think it wasn't a surprise to anyone. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I think people kind of understood that this was going to happen. There were, gonna, there were of course people who were sad to see it go, but I was laughing at those people because that's hilarious. Um, <laughs> I was laughing at those people. Anyway, so let's just break down the news and then we'll talk about our opinions. Naftali Bennett and Yair Lapid, these were the two co, or these were like the rotational prime ministers. They weren't at the same time, but they were in a rotation. I feel bad and, for Lapid. Well, Lapid's <laughs> going to be now the prime minister for the interim time until elections take place. Oh, really? Yeah, so he's he's getting his, he's getting something. Don't, uh, don't, don't. Don't right, sell them short. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Naftali Bennett and Yair Lapid announced that they would be disbanding the current coalition, leading to elections. Uh, this was last Monday, so this is around a week ago. This was caused by the coalition losing members over ideological issues. I think we spoke about Edith Silman, who, who we, this had to do with Passover, uh, you know, bread in, you know, hospitals over Passover. Uh, it's kind of a big no-no, apparently, but... Uh, you know, the, she left the coalition and the nail in the coffin was the opposition vetoing a bill in order to destabilize the coalition, at least according to Bennett. Basically, there was some sort of uh, bill that was concerning security in Judea and Samaria. And even though the right broadly supports security in Judea and Samaria, they they vetoed the bill so that the government would have to do something because they, you know, they're politicians also and they wanted to do something about it. And so. They said no, and so Naftali Bennett and Yair Lapid, I think to their credit, you know, fair enough, they said, well, this isn't working, so we're going to disband. Um, so here's the thing. Coalition systems don't work. And certainly not like this. Because the rea the, the, I always hear from people like, in the United States, there's a problem because there's only two political parties. Everything else is, uh, you know, the, if, you, if you want a third party, it doesn't really work. And to that I say, well, you could have the opposite problem. You could have too many parties where everyone has their own opinion and then, you know, you're not really focused. I find the, here's the systems like Israel's system is trying to make everyone happy, but by trying to make everyone happy, you know, no one's happy or, you know, you never get anything done. 
Okay, because you have all these parties that mean different things. And then if they all disagree on things, then, you know, it falls apart and you never get anything done. While, you know, in the U.S., you know, yeah, we only have two parties. But like, you know, what, you know, the like you said, there's no like falling apart of the government if if one person doesn't agree or not. You know, okay, well, you're there for the next until the next election. And then, okay, if people want changes, then they make changes and then they actually get things done. And then you would say like the most efficient way is, you know, authoritarian China where they're just like, you know, <laughs> well, no, 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 I will we'll hold on want. a minute. We'll hold on a minute. There's a, there's a reason why authoritarianism doesn't f- succeed in the end. I actually, when I was in Hebrew university, I was doing a paper on the Soviet union and uh, Ronald Reagan. Es- essentially one of the things you learn in history is that authoritarian states start out really strong, right? Because democracies, you need to like get them moving. It's like, imagine you've ever seen those like flashlights where you have to crank them to make them work, those emergency yeah. flashlights. Okay, so imagine that, right? You have a flashlight you have to crank, right? Um, versus a flashlight that maybe has like some batteries in it, but the batteries are kind of dying. And that's the thing with authoritarian governments. And this is why they don't work. Because for authoritarian governments to function, they have to do the things that many, many more people would do in a democracy for free, right? So for example... Um, in a democracy, you don't need to regulate thousands of prices. You're not doing price controls, this, that you are just, um, you're just having, that's the private market. It's a private market. So people, people are very good at what they know and they make prices based on what they know. And then everyone kind of knows a little bit of something. And that's collectively, collectively, we know a lot more than, you know, maybe you have the smartest people in the country sitting on the Politburo in uh, Russia but uh, because they're only using the brain power of a certain amount of people, they're actually not getting that much done. So mm-hmm. even though even though authoritarian governments have the authority to just move things, they're not always moving in the right direction. Whereas democracies, they take a little longer to move, but when they do move, they become way more efficient. So I don't think it's so clear to say that authoritarian governments are the best way to do things. And that's not my po- point, right? But you in, in democracy, right – you, you can have like this kind of free-for-all democracy where anyone who wants can open up a party and, you know, if they have a certain amount of votes, they get in the government, but then you have all these little parties that, you know, they're really just, they're just canonized special interests, right? So in the United States, special interests are people with money, they go pay politicians, and the politicians vote on the issues, which is a problem, but at least they're not in the government, right? At least they're outside the government. Here, special interests, you have a guy who wants to run a party on a specific issue, now he gets a seat at the table. Right. But now he's clogging up everything else because the reality is, is that country is not a single issue thing. Yeah, country, that seat could have gone to something else that was more important or something more broadly appealing. Right. Something that had more broad appeal. Right. And this could be on the right or the left. Right. And then also because you have all these right wing and left wing parties that broadly agree on many things, but because they have so many little disagreements that define the party, they can't then justify sitting with the party that they were founded specifically to replace or to be a check against, right? So if you got the the ultra orthodox parties that are right wing, but they're super duper religious in a certain way, and then you've got this party by Victor Lieberman, which is allegedly a right wing party, but it's supposed to be a check against the 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 ultra orthodox parties. Well, now they can't sit together in government, be, even though they agree on a lot of the issues, because a Victor Lieberman was voted in to make sure that the ultra orthodox go to war, and the ultra orthodox were parties were voted in to make sure the ultra orthodox don't go to war, right? So you got these are like very fringe issues. You can't solve this problem. Whereas 
say what you want about Republicans and Democrats, but at the very least, you know, you broadly get the agreement. And yes, there are going to be people in the party that are fighting over the issues and fighting over the party platform. But when the party gets to the government, it's more focused. Yeah, no, you're you're right. There's more focus. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I would also add another question. What will prevent another gridlock come the new elections? Because we didn't solve the problem here. Well, do you think BB's good? Well, BB's probably going to run again. And then you're just going to end up in the same situation. No, so I don't I don't think it's impossible. I think here is the problem. If let's say if let's say Yamina doesn't run again, right? So maybe more people will vote Likud, maybe more people will vote um Well, why don't you think Yamina's not gonna run again? Uh maybe Naftali Bennett will feel that he doesn't have enough uh support now to run because he essentially betrayed the right that is very true yeah maybe naftali bennett like because i've seen some talk that naftali bennett might go into high tech now because essentially he destroyed his political career um if that's the case then perhaps maybe we're going to see a more cohesive right wing a right wing that's now more willing to play ball with each other because they saw what happened when they weren't playing ball and they're like okay well Listen, we need to play ball and we're going to we're going to justify it to our to our base. But at the very least, we're not going to have a government that has the Arabs in it and the left and the right. And nothing gets done because everyone has a completely different agenda. So you think um, I don't think anything. I don't think anything. I think that that could happen. I also think that the same problem that happened in the previous million elections could happen, which is that. There are people who love Benjamin Netanyahu, and there are people who hate Benjamin Netanyahu, and they can't agree on what to do with Benjamin Netanyahu. That's the reality. Benjamin Netanyahu wasn't voted out. He was, and I'm not saying it wasn't fair, because this is how the system works in Israel, right? But Benjamin Netanyahu got a lot of votes. He got a lot of people that voted against him. And then there was some guy who got barely any votes. He decided he was going to, you know, become the prime minister. Okay. But that doesn't solve the problem. People don't hate Benjamin Netanyahu now. If anything, that strengthened Benjamin Netanyahu's case because now people don't remember what it's like to be ruled by Benjamin Netanyahu. Rose-colored glasses. People are going to have a more positive attitude towards Netanyahu because uh, the government. The government didn't work. Yeah. So maybe more people will vote Likud and then Likud will have, uh, you know, with certain right-wing parties, will have a mandate to rule without like a lot of the politics. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think, well, we'll see. I, I don't know what's going to happen. But th- that's how I see. I'm not saying one will happen. I'm saying these are the different ways it could happen. So when's the next election? <sighs> that's an excellent question. I don't know yet. I think I don't remember the rules. I think there needs to be three months of campaigning. So perhaps in September, but I'm not entirely sure. Well, there has to be a rule of how long you need to campaign for. Yeah, that's how it is in the United States as well. Every, Uh every, every country has a certain amount, uh, has uh, rules regarding that. They, they will push off elections for certain times so that candidates have the ability to campaign. That's why special elections don't take place the day after Elections, they take place months afterwards because you need time for the candidates to become known and to advertise and to campaign, etc. Sounds good. Yeah. So anyways, I think that's it for today. And that's our show. Thank you for joining us. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, You can listen to all of our uh, podcasts on Spotify, Apple, and all your other favorite podcasts. 
podcast platforms. Um, We uh, hope you have a wonderful day, wonderful week, and we look forward to seeing you next time. (laughs) 